Okay, let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for this um, beautiful new day and for the privilege that we have as um, women to um, sit at your feet um, like Mary did and do what is necessary um, to learn from you. We thank you for um, this wonderful book, um, Song of Songs, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Now, I don't know um, how many of you are here for the first time this morning, Um, and even if you were here last time, my guess is we probably um, need a little bit of a recap. So, if you were with us, last time, you'll know that this year we're working our way through this little book in the middle of the Bible called Song of Songs. Um, The series is called Best Song Ever and it's called that because Song of Songs is a love song. It's a song about marriage, it's a song about romance, it's a song about intimacy. And at the heart of it all, it's a song about a God who loves his people very much. He loves you and me very much. He loves us passionately and perfectly and perseveringly. He loves you and me very much. It's an amazing song about the love of God for his people, the love of Christ for his bride. And that bride, as you know, many of you know, is his church. So if you're a follower of Christ this morning, if you belong to him, then you are his bride. You are, we are the bride of Christ. If you are a Christian here this morning, and so this love song is for you. And I want us, my prayer for us this year is that, that we would savour this, that we would chew on it, um, think about it, um, listen to it again, meditate on it, think about it, so that, so that at the end, by the end of this year we, we know that love of God for us personally, we know that in a deeper way because I think um, Christian women um, maybe Christians but I'm only concerned um, today with Christian women um, that Christian women don't really know how much God loves them and that's my prayer for us um, through this study now last time we covered verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1 this morning, we, as Diane has read for us, we're um, going to um, do the rest of chapter 1, starting with verse 5. And here we come across the first note of tension in the song. So, if you'll keep your Bibles open, please, at Song of Songs, chapter 1, and put your nose on verse 5. I'm going to pick up from there. There are and pick out three themes um, in the chapter and this is the first one if you're taking notes 
verse 5, the bride's concern. She says, Dark am I, yet lovely. Dark like the tents of Kedar. I think she sounds a little fearful, a little insecure, doesn't she? She thinks that maybe her physical appearance isn't up to scratch. How many of us think that? But she's being pursued by the king of Israel. And she's a bit insecure about whether she's qualified to be the bride of the king. Dark am I, yet lovely. Dark like the tents of Kedar. Now, Kedar was a place to the east of Israel in the Arabian desert. And there, the tents that they lived in were made from goatskins, and these were blackened from long exposure in very hot sun. But the bride says she's like that. So we understand that the bride is also dark-skinned. Look at verse 6. She says, Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. So this girl has been working in the family vineyard and her skin has been darkened through long hours of tending the vines. But in those days, a suntan was not um, the sought-after thing as perhaps it is today. Actually, the, the sought-after thing was the pale and creamy complexion that the ladies of the royal court would have had. So our bride is seen as perhaps that she would have known that she was a little bit common-looking maybe a bit gypsy-like. She knows this and she's concerned about it. But she's also lovely, like Solomon's curtains. Okay, remember this is poetry. Solomon was the king and he would have had the most exquisite curtains you can imagine. They would have been rich, they would have been ornate, they would have been braided, real works of art, designer curtains, if you like. So we're getting a picture here of the bride. She's dark-skinned and she's very beautiful. Perhaps think like a, a wild and exotic gypsy or a Persian princess, perhaps. But she's also a farm worker. Think about her hands. She's dark and she's very beautiful, both at the same time. It's a strong contrast in the poetry. So let's just think about this spiritually for a minute. Are we not like this? Are we not dark and not like the king, not like our king? Jesus is God in whom there is no darkness at all. How dark we are then compared to him because of our sin. 
But we're also, if we're Christians here this morning, we're also very lovely because of him. We're very lovely, like the king's curtains in the poem. Why? Well, whatever you think of your physical appearance this morning, we're lovely because we have Jesus. Because of King Jesus. Any loveliness we have, ladies, is because of him. If I'm a believer today, I'm not chosen by God because of any intrinsic good in me. There is no intrinsic beauty or worth intrinsically in any of us apart from Christ. We are just like the bride, dark in our flesh, but lovely because of the King. So that's a tension, isn't it? That's always, that is the tension of the Christian life. And this sense of our unfitness, our unworthiness to be the bride of Christ, we live with that all our days till we go to heaven. That's the tension of the Christian life. So let me ask you, do you feel that? Do you feel the weight of your own unworthiness? to be loved by Christ what I'm saying here doesn't make any sense to you do please go and come and chat to me afterwards go and chat to Rose or your table leader it's important that every Christian will feel that tension and so we're just like the bride in our song Whatever you may think of your physical appearance this morning, Jesus makes us very beautiful. And he does it. It's not our own. Just like the bride, we're dark and lovely. Notice the bride feels shame because of her darkness. She doesn't (coughs) want the daughters of Jerusalem, the friends, or anyone else to look at her because of her darkness. She's ashamed. She says in verse 6, Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. Does this remind you of anyone else in the Bible who felt shame? Remember the setting for the song is a garden. We'll see more of that in chapter 2. The first people in the garden were Adam and Eve. Were they not ashamed? Once they sinned, they were ashamed and they hid from the presence of God in the garden because they were ashamed. Then there's the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 6, he sees the Lord seated on the throne and he cries immediately, Oh, I'm ruined. My eyes have seen the Lord. I'm ruined. And then there's the Apostle Peter who denied the Lord three times and then he broke down and wept because of his shame. And closer to home, then there's us. We sing, don't we? I stand amazed 
in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and I wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean why would he love me so well because when we follow after Christ he clothes us in his loveliness he has become for us righteousness holiness redemption so when God looks at us he just sees his own precious son and he loves us for his son's sake dark am I yet lovely because of the enormity of my sin it weighs me down like a heavy burden am I just talking about myself I've just had my parents stay with me in the house for six weeks my parents are not Christian so I can tell you this morning that I'm weighed down by the enormity of my sin but when I follow hard after Christ I know that I'm loved for nothing in me but because he has given me Jesus God looks at me and he sees only Jesus and Jesus is in my heart that's attention we're going to if you're a Christian today you're going to live with that till you go to heaven and then then that will be no more so God looks at us and if we have Jesus he sees only Jesus he sees beauty and righteousness and perfection actually The second theme comes in verse 6. I call that the vineyard's care. We've got um, the bride's tension and now the vineyard's care. And the bride says again, My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Well, what's she talking about here? Her own vineyard she had to neglect. She's talking to the friends. Who are they? Um, They're mentioned seven times in the book. They're a group of ladies, um, probably, who following after the king, but not with quite the same passion and devotion that the bride does. So they're a bit lukewarm in their walk with Jesus, or we might refer to to them today as as less mature believers maybe they're just seekers they're the friends they appear a few times in the song and the bride is talking to them and she says what, what, and what does she mean when she says but my own vineyard I've neglected and I think she's referring to herself she's been tending the, to the needs of others and not looking after herself at one level The bride's been working on the family farm, tending the vines. The text says so. So she's not had time to get into town for regular pedicures and facials at the local (laughs) beauty salon. 
and she's feeling insecure about her appearance especially when she's being courted by the king on another level we read the song on two levels ladies on another level she's not looking after herself <coughs> spiritually she's been spending time for Jesus doing things for others not spending time with him what a common trap that is for us especially um, in a busy church like this one this reminds us of the story doesn't it of the two sisters Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 you can read it later but Martha has been rushing around making everything fabulous for a lunch party for the Lord Jesus while her sister Mary just sits at his feet gazing at Jesus and listening to his every word imagine that having a lunch party and the Lord Jesus is coming I think that would put most of us in a bit of a spin <laughs> and Martha is cross because Mary isn't helping well what does Jesus say only one thing is needed and Mary has chosen what is better what's better ladies well it's better to spend time with him before you spend time for him it's not just better Jesus says it's necessary and so our bride does that in verse 7 she seeks the king she seeks him out she says tell me you whom I love where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday she's, she's saying where can I be really close to you how, how can I find that nearness where are you how do I find you remember ladies we don't read this as we read this as poetry we don't take this literally we don't go looking for Jesus on a sheep farm it's love poetry and what our bride is really saying is this I know that only you Jesus can restore my soul only you we tend our own vineyards by abiding in him apart from him we can do nothing he is the living water he's the one who gives rest and refreshment to our souls I want us to follow Christ first above all others not your husband if you have one not your pastor not um, internet sermons not blogs not your friends certainly not me none of these people can restore your soul I can't and they can't either only he can you know these verses well the Lord is my shepherd I shall not be in want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul 
taking care of the vineyard, taking care of our vineyard, ladies, it doesn't mean neglecting our other responsibilities. It just means that as we pursue intimacy with Christ, we go out in his strength to serve others. I would suggest that if you're feeling tired or burnt out today, rather like me, the solution is not to stop serving others, but rather to rest in Jesus so that we can serve others out of his strength, out of delight, out of our love um, for him, out of his love for us. Our service, then, it's not, it's not burdensome. It becomes, it's joyful and it's fruitful because he makes it that way. So can I ask you, what's the condition of your vineyard this morning? <coughs> Have you been neglecting your own heart? Are you serving in his strength or your own? <coughs> the answer is, to do what is better, to do what is necessary, it's to seek him out. And that's what the friends say in verse 8. They say to her, if you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Well, our king is the good shepherd and you'll find him amongst the sheep so so far we see that our bride is dark in herself but very beautiful in Christ we see that she's been neglecting her own vineyard but her heart is longing for more face to face intimacy with the king <coughs> because he's the one, remember from last time, he's the one whose love is more delightful than wine. His love is the best love ever. And then in the following verses for the rest of the chapter, we see the king reassuring the bride and the bride in turn speaking back to him with confidence <coughs> and joy about their relationship. And so the third theme is the king's reassurance from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. So by the way, is there a name you call your husband, married ladies? Or a name he calls you? A nice one, I mean. <laughs> Those of us who are married here, we ought to have special sweet terms that we reserve for each other, not so. And that's what's going on here with the bride and the king. They're exchanging sweet nothings um, to each other. Um, only, of course, they're not sweet nothings because this is the Bible. They're exchanging sweet words with each other. The bride is feeling insecure about her appearance and the king reassures her. Verse 9. But it's not perhaps what you'd expect. Verse 9. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. <laughs> I know you're laughing. 
But then it was a real compliment in those days because the king's horses were the very best horses money could buy. They were very expensive and they were great treasures of the king. And he would cover them with jewels. Their faces and their necks would be laden with silver and gold and jewels. He says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. They would have sewn all these jewels onto the bridle and woven them into the mane. The king delighted in these horses. They were the best horses money could buy. They were trained for battle. They were often, in those days, they were treated almost like his personal companions. He would have his favourites and so on. And of course, we might not think it's such a compliment if our husband <laughs> compares us to a horse. <laughs> but actually, seriously, ladies, have you ever studied a horse? I know, I'm totally biased. I spent the first half of my life working with horses and I love horses, some of you know that. And I'm sure there are going to be horses in heaven. But horses are seriously very beautiful. And so, if the king is comparing his bride in a poem to likening her to a beautiful horse, it is a real compliment. Let's think about the ornaments on the horse for a minute. The ornaments that make the horse beautiful because these come from the king. He would have said, put these on my horse. And then there are the ornaments that make the bride beautiful. So where do these come from? Where do the ornaments that make us as the bride of Christ where do they come from? well they come from King Jesus don't they? only these aren't diamonds or rubies or sapphires or gold or these are Christian graces the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience and so on he gives us the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Was anyone here born with a gentle and quiet spirit? <laughs> no. We can't make ourselves like that. Only Jesus can do that for us. These graces of character, they're worked in us when we follow Jesus when we love him and he loves us over the years because it does take years he works those things in us and for those of you who aren't married we don't have to be married to have these we just need to have face to face ongoing, persevering day by day month by month, year after year intimacy with Jesus that's how we get these there's no quick rope no fast path to these no shortcut that's what it means 
And if we do that today, Jesus is saying to us, when he gives us these things, he's saying, you're someone I really, really love. You're someone I admire. You're someone I think is very beautiful. Let me just talk to the married ladies for a moment. That doesn't mean the rest of you can go to sleep. But some of you perhaps are thinking, now hang on a minute, Gillian. My husband doesn't talk to me like that. (laughs) And he never has. Well, I don't think that many husbands do talk like that. But the point is, isn't it, ladies, that that in our brokenness and in our sin and in our neediness, we're all insecure about our appearance, about our darkness before a holy God, about our salvation, about our worth. We're all insecure. We're all in some measure broken, insecure, unworthy and needy. And here's the point. No amount of love poetry or love language or whatever it is from our husbands is going to meet that deep need in us. We have a deep need to be loved by God and assured by him that we are admired and adored and thought beautiful by him. And this can only be met by face-to-face intimacy with Jesus by sitting at the feet of Jesus and doing what is necessary. (coughs) Don't expect your husband to give you that because he can't only Jesus can meet that need and when we do have that ongoing personal sweet fellowship with Jesus then he gives us the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit and he he puts on us he adorns us not with fine jewels with precious stones but if you like fine jewels of Christian character he makes us more and more like himself and that's what's happening here in the exchange between the two lovers they are blessing one another by telling each other how beautiful and handsome they are and that's a theme that we're going to see repeated throughout the book where the lovers speak to each other backwards and forth telling one another how handsome, how beautiful, how precious they are think about that on a spiritual level embarrassed? I think if we're honest that makes us a little embarrassed doesn't it? and again I think of those of us who are married no matter how long we've been married, that this is something we should practice, a little talking to one another like this, affirming one another, building one another up, telling one another how precious they are to us. 
how precious they are, our husbands are, to the Lord if they're Christians. And then just a health warning, if you've been married for a long time and you've never done this before, do start small, otherwise he'll think (laughs) (laughs) that you've gone completely potty. Yeah. Gosh, we're only in chapter one, ladies. (laughs) Lots more to come. And remember, seriously, remember though, I imagine in a room with this many ladies that there are quite a few who are married to, um, who have non-Christian husbands. So remember, if he laughs at you, or he's nil per mouth, (laughs) don't don't take offence because it hurts that Um, actually some of you will have Christian husbands who may laugh at you or say nothing don't take offence just run to the arms of the one who will never do that no matter what you've done or you've said or you've been in the past Jesus sees us not as we are today but as we one day will be and he won't laugh or say nothing in fact what he will say is how beautiful you are my darling oh how beautiful you are So then in these um, verses 13 and 14 we have the same kind of idea but the, pi- the picture is not a visual one it's an aromatic one because now the bride speaks back to the king and she says my lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts my lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi now the two perfumes mentioned here myrrh and henna uh, myrrh was an exotic spice from southern Arabia and henna, well you know that it's a reddish dye that is still used to dye hair today but both of them were very expensive they were exquisite perfumes the best that money could buy and so here the point is that the lovers are now blessing each other with perfume language it's always you're the best, the most beautiful, the most expensive. She gets her fragrance from him. Um, My lover is to me like a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. She gets the aroma of Christ. And that blesses the king in return. It brings him joy. It's the picture of a very personal relationship with Jesus. Notice she says, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms. It's personal. It's not my beloved is. It's my beloved is to me. It's very personal. The king is as precious to our bride as the most expensive, exquisite perfume same idea as we saw last time your love, your, your kisses are more delightful than wine same idea it's the best it's the song of songs it's the best song 
ever. And so King Jesus, what is he to you? There's a challenge in these verses, I think. Do you love King Jesus like our bride loves the king in the poem? You see, loving Jesus, it's not just information or a theology degree, not even great wisdom or great insight. It's just, I love Jesus with all my heart. That's what it is. One of the main themes in Song of Songs is exclusivity, where there is this exclusive commitment of the lovers to each other. There's no other love for them. They have all they need with the other. Again, for those of us who are married, marriage was God's idea. And his idea was that in marriage, a man and a woman would be exclusively joined together. We say that in our wedding vows, don't we? Forsaking all others. And the thing is, sooner or later, we find out that we didn't marry the perfect husband. And we find out that we're not the perfect wife. And we think maybe he isn't everything that we need. And if we're not worshipping our heavenly king, that's the point, who perfectly meets all our needs, then we will get bitter and unkind and we have a pity party about the husband that we do have. How that husband is mean or he's unkind or he doesn't want to be with us or he works all the time or he doesn't listen to us or his eyes wander or whatever it is or maybe he's not a Christian. But the point is, if you are a Christian and you are worshipping King Jesus, then that King, this King Jesus, will meet all your needs. Your husband may not, but King Jesus will meet all your needs. You know that you are dark, that you're still a sinner, but he sees you as lovely. He thinks you are so beautiful and he wants to be with you all the time he listens to every word you say he will never leave you or forsake you you belong to him you're exclusively his and if you're not married today what about you Well, Song of Songs may not be the particular song that you want to sing right now, but all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for the man or woman of God. And if you're worshipping the king as a single girl right now, for whatever reason, then this song will make all the other melodies in the Bible sound so much sweeter. Because best song ever speaks the same word to you as it does to the married ladies. It's the same word. The king knows that you're dark and you're still a sinner. 
but he sees you as so lovely. He thinks you're so beautiful as you are. He wants to be with you all the time. He listens to every word you say and he will never leave you or forsake you. If you're a worshipper of the king, the ultimate bridegroom, even as someone who is not married today, then you already belong to him too, just like those of us who are married here this morning, and you are exclusively his. And if you walk with him, he will change your heart so that instead of getting bitter or self-pitying about your own situation because you don't have a husband, you will rest in him and you'll want these good things for your married friends. You'll pray for them, you'll rejoice with them when marriage is going well, you'll cry with them when and encourage them when marriage is a bummer because, let's face it, sometimes it is. So, I conclude. The king sees his bride in the song as so beautiful. And King Jesus sees us, married or not, not as what we are today, but as what we will someday be when we stand before him, holy and pure and blameless. And with all of that in mind, he says to us in verse 15, put your nose on verse 15. The king says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. That's why this is the best song ever. Let's pray, ladies. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that even though we are so dark because of our sin, you make us lovely through knowing Jesus. Help us to love him with all our hearts, to be exclusively devoted to him and to walk this out rightly in our earthly marriages and relationships within the Church of Christ his bride. We pray these things for his sake. Amen.